thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. This morning we are continuing our series called Reclaim, and we will be in Psalm 34 looking at a few verses there. And this morning I'd like for us to look at the idea of reclaiming joy in seasons of struggle because the Bible is very clear that we will all experience trouble. We will all experience trouble. We will experience pain. We will experience uh, times of, of deep struggle, deep trouble. And so the Bible is clear about that. That will happen. In fact, I've heard people say from time to time, when you become a Christian, God takes care of all those problems. When he takes care of the problems, it doesn't mean that you are exempt from having problems. In fact, becoming a Christian and a follower of Christ, there will be some problems that present themselves simply because you are a follower of Christ that you did not have before you followed him. And so we have to understand that we will face trouble, we will face struggle, we will face pain. But the Bible is also clear that in the midst of those seasons, we can have joy. Now I know that sounds really strange because some of you are in a season of struggle. You may be in a season of financial trouble, a season of vocational trouble, a season of relational trouble. Maybe you're in a season of grief right now because you've lost a loved one. Maybe you're dealing with some sort of physical ailment that's causing you trouble. And all of these times, whenever we experience these seasons of trouble, God's word is clear It does not exempt us from feeling the full weight of the trouble, but at the same time, we experience those seasons of struggle, and we can experience them with joy. How does that happen? How do we live with joy in the midst of a season of struggle? Because our tendency is we focus on the the circumstance, we focus on the season, we focus upon what's going on right then, and we lose track of God. Or you sometimes may have somebody who is so focused upon these, these things, uh, and I'm, I hate to say so focused on God, but let me complete my sentence and maybe they'll make more sense, that they deny the reality that people are hurting. I, I had that uh, whenever my father passed away. We had a, a, a church member uh, at the time who came to visit the funeral home that day at the visitation. And she walked up and I was, I was standing there and she walks up to me and she says, you have absolutely no reason to be sad and to grieve whatsoever because your father is with Jesus. And I said, well, that is true, but we still grieve. And she said, well, you shouldn't be grieving. And I thought, woman, I didn't say it, but I thought it, I thought there's going to be some grieving going on if you don't, if you just don't move on because the reality is we do grieve. The Bible is clear about that. When Paul writes to the the church at Thessalonica, he tells them, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We do grieve, absolutely. We experience pain, but it's not without hope. And so whenever we understand that we have a hope, we can understand that we can grieve and we can experience seasons of struggle and we can experience seasons of trouble and we can experience them with joy, with that resolute, firm joy. Doesn't mean we don't experience grief, but it means we can experience joy in that season. So in Psalm 34, David is reflecting upon a time where God brought him out of a difficult situation. And we find this incredible 
praise that David expresses in Psalm 34, starting in verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So David starts out with this incredible, exuberant praise for God. In fact, in verse 1 of Psalm 34, David says, I will praise the Lord at all times. How can David praise the Lord at all times? In seasons of struggle, in times of trouble, in these, these periods of life where it's painful, how can he do that? How can we reclaim that joy in the seasons of struggle? Well, if we look at a few of these verses, I think it's pretty clear. First of all, in that season of struggle, we rejoice in the Lord's presence. We we rejoice because God is present with his children. Look back at verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who look to him are radiant. Those who look to him, those who focus upon his presence, those who are focused upon God, those with whom God dwells, God transforms them and they are radiant. There is something about their lives that reflects the glory of God. We find this down in Psalm 34 again, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their crying. God pays attention, but God also blesses those with his presence. He blesses us with his very presence. Now, we understand that God blesses believers through the presence of his Holy Spirit, who indwells every believer at the time of salvation. But then the Holy Spirit fills us at different times, and we are are aware, we're made aware of his presence. We're relying more and more upon his power, and we can know God's presence, not some abstract knowledge of God. No, I mean a literal knowledge of the presence of God. Listen to what David records just a little further on in Psalm 34. This is the first part of verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Aren't you glad for the promise that God is near to the brokenhearted? That word brokenhearted, that word broken, it's the word that means broken down. It's a word that means shattered. God is near to those whose hearts have been shattered. His presence is there with his children whenever they're going through a difficult time. When they're going through a period of life where everything seems to be falling apart and they feel like they're tore up from the floor up, God is there. He is present. I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've sought answers for different problems. I've prayed to God, God, will you please show me what to do in this situation? God, will you show me what I need to understand in this situation? God, will you just direct in this situation? And you know what happens often? Often I find in my own life, maybe your life is different, but in my life, God does not specifically give an answer to that question that I was seeking. He doesn't necessarily say, now Dustin, This is the direction. Dustin, this is the path. Although we've talked about that. Sometimes he does. More often, here's how God answers. This is who I am. 
This is who I am in the midst of what you're dealing with. This is who I am in the midst of your confusion. You need to know me. You you don't need an answer. You just need the answer. You need me. You need my presence to be clear. Because there have been many times where I have prayed and I've said, God, is it this or is it this? And God says, focus on me. Focus on my presence. And everything else becomes clear when you focus on the presence of God. See, too many times, I'm guilty of it. I know probably many of us are. That we want an answer to an issue But we want the answer without God's presence. No, it doesn't work that way. God, in those seasons of struggle, wants to show himself to you in a very specific way. In fact, I've often said that times of trouble that we experience, God entrusts those. Now, I know it's a weird word, but he does. He entrusts those times to us so that we can learn something about him that we couldn't learn any other way. I find myself now in seasons of difficulty and I'll just ask God. I don't do it perfectly, but many times I'll just ask God, God, what do you want to teach me in this? God, what are you wanting to show me in this? God, what are you wanting to reveal about yourself in the midst of this, God? what, What do you want me to know about you in the midst of this? So we find that God's presence gives us joy in those seasons of struggle. Listen to Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21, verse 6, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. If you're in a season of struggle right now, if you're in a time of difficulty right now, can I tell you, you can know that joy that comes from God. And you know that joy by focusing on his presence, by focusing on the fact that God is with you, that God will never leave you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you, meaning meaning he's never going to accidentally leave you behind, nor is he going to intentionally leave you behind. It's not like God's going to go along his way and say, you know, I feel like I forgot something. Oh, that child of mine, oh, hope it hasn't gotten too far out of control by the time I get back there. God never says that. God knows exactly where you are. It always gives me great comfort. Some of you know one of my uh, favorite passages or one of my favorite uh, things in the Old Testament is the story of Elijah. And I just, I, I've, I've, I don't know how many hours I've spent just pouring over the life of Elijah over the years because I just keep gravitating back to that. And one of my favorite lines in that whole, uh, the, the whole idea, the whole story of Elijah is where Elijah is out there in the wilderness and then it says, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It's like when nobody else knew where Elijah was, God knew exactly where he was. When Elijah was out there in the middle of nowhere, God said, I haven't lost track of my guy. I know exactly where he is. And the word of the Lord came to him. It wasn't that Elijah was looking for the word of the Lord. No, God said, I know where he is. I'm just going to go and I'm going to give him a word. So take comfort in knowing that God has not lost track of you. You are not forgotten if you are a child of God. The Bible says that he he has engraved your name on his hand. He's not going to forget about you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows what you're going through. 
you have not been forgotten. So you can rejoice in his presence because he is here. He is with you if you are a child of God. Secondly, the psalmist tells us that we can rejoice in God's victory. Look at verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Now, I know you may look at this and say, where is this idea of victory? Well, it's found in that word saved. That word saved is a word that means to rescue from battle. That's the idea. To give victory in a battle. That's the idea. So we find that it says the Lord heard him and gave him victory in the battle and gave him victory over all his troubles. That's the idea. A little further on in verse 18. It's the continuation of what we just looked at about God being near to those who are brokenhearted. He goes on and saves the crushed in spirit. That word crushed is an interesting word. You find it three times in the Old Testament. Uh, one time it's usually translated as contrite, where the Bible says that I will, dr- I will dwell with him in a high and holy place, with him who has a contrite spirit. But it's also the word that is used for dust. It's a word that literally means this, ground into powder. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like life has just ground you into powder? Your circumstances and your situations have just ground you down till you say, I have no hope. I have just been ground down into powder. The Bible says that he, he gives victory to those who are ground down, who are crushed in spirit. How can he give us victory? Through Jesus. He saves us through Jesus. He gives us that victory through Christ. And even Jesus says, just be prepared. Things may get bad. In fact, things will get bad. Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Listen to this promise. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I talked to a gentleman one time and he says, yeah, 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 but, 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 but. He had what one of my mentors refers to as a bad case of the yabbits. So when you hear a biblical truth and you go, hey, yeah, but, oh, this is what he says. And this guy said, yeah, but Jesus was talking to his disciples. I said, we're his disciples. He said, no, but we're not those disciples. See, Jesus intends for us to live without pain. Jesus intends for us to live without trouble. Jesus intends for us to live without any difficulty whatsoever. That's God's plan for his followers today. And so if we're experiencing pain or trouble or anything like that, it's because we've committed some sort of sin and we need to get right. And then God will bless us and cause us to prosper. And if I'm not prospering, it's because I'm sinning against God because God wants all of us to prosper. I said, okay, um, no, that's pretty, no, it wasn't a yeah, but I was just like, no, that's just not, that's not what we find. I said, what about Paul? Well, that was then I said, when did that change? When did suddenly it shift? When did suddenly it shift from we, will, we are exempt from pain as believers to suddenly, uh, or I'm sorry, we're going to experience pain as believers to suddenly we are exempt? When did, that has, when did that happen? He said, well, I don't know. I said, I can tell you when it happened. When the prosperity gospel preachers that you started listening to started getting in your ear. That's when it happened. That's the bottom line. Jesus says, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, listen, it's going to get rough. 
You're going to have hard times. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to struggle. You're going to, you're going to have the struggles that are common to humanity. And then you're going to have some special struggles that are specific to you because you're my followers. The world's going to hate you because they hated me. But you're going to go through a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, you're going to get sick. Yeah, you, you, you're going to die. Yeah, you're going to have these difficulties. But take heart. Be of good courage. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. This is not it. Aren't you glad this is not it? Aren't you glad that the best the world has to offer is not it? Because if that's it, we are in deep trouble. But Jesus says, take heart. Be of good cheer. You, you can rejoice because I've overcome the world. Hey, this idea continues in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It's not just that Jesus has overcome the world. Listen to 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you who are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus resides in us. His power resides in us, us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so now, here's John writing. John's recorded the words of Jesus. I have overcome the world. And then in 1 John 4, 4, John says, and you, you have overcome because he has overcome the world and he is in you. And so greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you. The Holy Spirit working in you, the power of Jesus being expressed in you on a day-to-day basis is greater than any of the struggles or troubles that you're going to encounter. We just have to understand that. John continues in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Meaning, if you're a follower of Christ, this is the God-given capacity he has given each one of us. That we do not have to live captive to the way of the world, the trouble the world brings, the difficulty the, world's br- the world brings to us. No, we have overcome it. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How do we overcome the world? Our faith. What's faith? You've heard me say it so many times. Faith is, at essence, that we receive a report from God and then we respond in the right way. That's faith. We hear the word of God, we receive the word of God, and then we respond to it. I believe he is who he says he is. I believe he will do what he says he's going to do. I believe I am who he says I am. I'm going to trust that it will come to pass just as he sees fit. And so we act upon faith. We trust him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, Paul writes, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are going through periods of time right now, a season right now, and it seems like, it feels like you have been ground to powder. You don't see any way out. You are truly crushed in spirit. You are. Can I give you this word? The prerequisite for the miraculous is impossibility. You want to see God do something that only God can do? then often we need to get into a situation where we can't do anything ourselves. God will both be the divine breaker and the divine healer at the same time. So many times I've found myself in situations that God just seems to allow you to get into a, like go down a dead end road. And you sit there and you look and you say, now where? Oh God, 
I can't do anything. And it's as though in those moments of the Holy Spirit whispers, oh, well, now I can. Now that you're out of the way. Now that your hands are off of it. Now that you have reached the limit of yourself, now, now maybe you will understand what trust in me means. Sometimes when God allows us to be ground into powder, he's grinding us into that powder so that we can see him work in a way so that we know that it's him. And we know that wasn't me. We know that wasn't my strength, that wasn't my power, that wasn't my wisdom, that wasn't my planning, that wasn't my preference, that wasn't my opinion that I expressed so well. It wasn't any of those things that enabled this to take place. It had to be God. It just had to be God. Do you think, do you think that when Israel, when they were released from Egypt miraculously because of the plagues, do you think that when God led them to the shore of the Red Sea, which the Bible says he did, led them to a dead end, Pharaoh's armies pressing down behind them, and God said, Moses, raise up your hands, raise up your staff, I'll part the water. You're going to walk across on dry ground. Do you think that when they got to the other side, that the Israelites gathered around Moses and said, way to go. I always knew you had it in you. I just knew you were one of those water parter kind of guys, Moses. Oh, and I never doubted Some of them, they doubted it. They were like, I don't think of you. But I never doubted you, Moses. No. Do you think anybody looked at Moses and said, way to go, Moses. Teach us that trick. No. Everybody understood. Oh, that had to be God. It had to be God. There's no other alternative. The very prerequisite for the miraculous is impossibility. If you are in the midst of an impossible situation right now, take heart. Because you are in the prime place for God to do something that only he can do. So he's the only one who gets credit for it. So we can rejoice in God's presence. We rejoice in the victory that we have. And we also rejoice in his rescue. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The angel of the Lord. Interesting thing. You can do a study of this. We don't have time to go into all the details today. But anytime in the Old Testament where you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's talking about not, not, a, not an angel like Gabriel or, or Michael or somebody like that. It's not talking about some lesser angel. That's not, that's not what it's talking about. It's interesting because when you see angels show up throughout the Bible and somebody tries to take a knee before the angel, the angel always says, no, 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 you don't worship me. But when the angel of the Lord shows up and somebody starts to worship him, he doesn't stop them. Do you know why? Because the angel of the Lord is the idea of a pre-incarnate, before he came in the flesh, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. It's Jesus showing up. We don't see the name Jesus, but it's Jesus showing up, and, and it is a manifestation. Some people refer to it as a Christophany, a theophany. Christophany, uh, an appearance of Christ, an uh, Old Testament appearance of Christ. Theophany, an Old Testament appearance of God himself. And you can, you can study this. You can look it up and study it. But the idea is it's not just, I hate to say it like this, it's not just any old angel. 
It's not that God looks and says, man, my child down there needs some, needs a, needs some help. Um, who hasn't been yet? You know, who hasn't, who hasn't gone? Okay. You, you, why don't you go to just any old angel will do whatever. No, it does not. That's not what we find. It also isn't the idea of necessarily a guardian angel. And I know there's different schools of thought about, is there a guardian, are there guardian angels in the Bible? We did a study on this on one Wednesday night. And, uh, and the Bible, I think the Bible is, is really clear in that we can say, I don't know. Uh, some passages say, some passages seem to say yes. Some passages say not so much. You know, I often thought, uh, I, I often thought for my own life, and I know how, how difficult it is. I know how dangerous it is to start taking theology and applying it just specifically to you. I don't know how it works for you. I don't believe that I have a single guardian angel. I don't. I believe I have a team that works shifts. And, 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 and they're, they're like, okay, somebody's got somebody. It's like tag team. Somebody's like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta step in on this. Cause this is this, you, I need some help. I need some rest. All right. Um, I joke halfway, but in this case, we're not finding a guardian angel. We're not finding just any old angel. No, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord goes back to our first idea of the presence of God, the angel of the Lord. Christ himself encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Jesus himself is involved in our protection and in our providential care and deliverance and rescue from different situations. We can all think about times. We can go back and we can probably all share. You know, there was this time where this happened and that happened and this happened. And because of the timing of it, I did not, I was, I didn't get involved in an accident or I, I didn't have this happen to me or, I, or this would have happened had I been there at this time. And you hear these stories about people who said I had a cancellation of a flight and then the plane crashed or this person says, you know, I, I, I got delayed in traffic and then this happened and all sorts of things like that. And, and we give God praise when we see those things. But you know what I've done in my life? I've started doing sometimes when those moments happen and we're just really, I'm really struck by, wow, God, you, you just really kept me safe or delivered me in that situation. Do you know what I've started doing? I've started also giving God thanks for all the times that he has intervened that I never knew about. Do you think about that? How many times that you never found out about that God took care of you as a child? How many times that you never, you never realized that God was sovereignly working behind the scenes to orchestrate and protect you that you didn't even know things that he didn't allow to come your way or things that he did allow to come your way and things that he orchestrated and worked out just so he would keep you safe. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them even when you don't realize he's encamped around you and he rescues us. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Listen to Psalm 34 again. Psalm 34 verse 19. We we could have taken verse 18 and verse 19 and had the exact same points that we have for these first passages, the the three through seven. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Out of all of them. God rescues us. God delivers us. 
That deliverance may not look like what we have in mind. That deliverance may be through means by which we would not have anticipated. They may be through a means that might be uncomfortable in the short term. But God delivers us through those. It may be, in fact, the deliverance can sometimes be more painful than what we're going through by God's design. But God is good. He's good in what he does. He's good in the way that he does it. And sometimes we come out on the other side and we've experienced that difficulty and we've learned that humility. And God rescues us and sometimes it's that we're trying to hang on to things or God has to teach us how dependent we are upon him in the midst of that circumstance and situation. Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous pastor many years ago, someone asked him, how can you know if someone truly walks with the Lord? And his response was this, he walks with a limp. He walks with a limp. He walks with an understanding that he himself is broken and he himself needs someone to help him along and carry him along. He walks with a limp. Every true follower of Christ walks with a limp. We walk victoriously, but we walk with a limp, recognizing that we're dependent upon him for our victory. We're dependent upon Jesus for our rescue. Listen to Psalm 63. What a beautiful passage here. Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remembered you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The psalmist is writing understanding, even in the midst of the darkness of the night, even when I'm lying awake in my bed at night, all those thoughts are running through my head. I understand, God, you're with me. God, I can trust you to rescue me. I can trust you to save me. My soul clings to you. I follow close behind you because God is our rescue and we can rejoice in the midst of that. First Peter 1, 6, Peter writes, in this you rejoice. Well, what do we rejoice in, Peter? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Can we just be really blunt here? I don't know of many people who say, I'm in the middle of a trial. Thank you, God. I'm praising you for this. Yet this is what we find. This is what we find. There was a a woman that I knew up in Tennessee, the last church where I served. And she was diagnosed with cancer. And... She was talking to me one evening after a Bible study. She said her name was Charlotte. And Charlotte said, you know, it's been interesting listening to people tell me what they think about this and what they think God is doing. She said, I know they mean well. She said, but I had a woman the other day walk up to me and she said, Charlotte, have you ever wondered why God let you have cancer? And she said, And I just looked at her and I said, why not? Why would he not? Why would he not if he thought this would bring him the most glory, honor, and praise? Why would he not? Why would I not receive it from him? If I did not believe that I had something better awaiting and I could use this as an opportunity to show the hope that I have in Christ to possibly a medical team who does not believe. Why not? She said, and Charlotte said, and 
The woman turned on her heels, and I think she went away more confused than she was when she showed up and asked the original question. Why would God allow this? Have you ever thought, why would God allow it? Why not? But why indeed? Why? Because God has his purposes. And we can rejoice. And we can rejoice even through the hurt. And we can rejoice in the pain. And we can say, God, I don't like this. It's painful. But God, thankfully, this is not the end of it. And also, thankfully, Lord God, you've got a purpose. And I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. Paul writes this toward the end of his life. Paul, who would end up being historically uh, or traditionally understood crucified. Notice this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. I'm sorry, Paul beheaded. Peter crucified. Uh, Paul uh, beheaded in Rome. 2 Timothy 4, 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, was Paul mistaken? I mean, Paul lost his head over this. Was Paul mistaken? No. Paul was absolutely, he absolutely and completely and totally understood. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. God did. God did. By his own means, God did. And we still read the words of Paul. And we still understand that Paul is, other than Jesus, arguably, the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. So we find that God gives us his rescue. As we close, I just want us to think about this. And I probably, I probably think about this, um, I, probably, I probably ponder this and think on this uh, probably more than two or three times a week for the last probably three years, I guess. It's a thought that I go back to a lot. You find in the Garden of Eden that sin enters into the world and everything changes. And you find this disruption of, how, of, of the peace and this disruption of everything, the, the physical universe, our, our understanding of God, our, our, our approach to God, our relationship with God, all that changes. We're all plunged into sin. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And so we find that that's, that's what we find. And, and in the Old Testament, there's, there's that term shalom, peace. And that's how we normally translate it. We normally translate it, peace be with you. And, and peace, and it's peace, and it's peace. Well, the Jewish, the Jewish term goes beyond that. It's not just peace. It's the idea of peace because of a completeness, a wholeness that takes place. That's the idea of shalom. It's a restoration. It's a wholeness. It's a unity. It's a completeness. Everything gets connected, reconnected in the way it should be, and everything is brought back together into wholeness, into oneness, into perfection again. And you find that the Bible begins with creation, and then when you get all the way to Revelation, or you get all the way to the book of Revelation, it ends in a recreation. God makes everything anew. And through Jesus, he's making each one of us anew. He's renewing us every day. We're, we're born again because of the sacrifice of Christ. And as we come to him in faith and repentance and surrender, and then he starts in us and we begin to be that opening sequence of the redeeming of the whole universe. And I was, I was thinking about this and again, and I was thinking, that's what we have to look forward to. And in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our pain, God is moving everything back toward that oneness, toward that shalom, 
that oneness, that unity, that completeness. And he's going to bring everything back to better than the way it was. He's going to re-Edenize the universe. You find in Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I look forward to that. You look forward to that? I look forward to it. That we will have ultimate joy. We will have complete and total rescue. That God's going to, let's make up a word. God's going to shalomify the world. He's going to Edenize it and Shalomify it. Your life will be Edenized and Shalomified. It will be. I know, I just made this up. But that's, what, that's what's going to happen. God's going to Shalomify the universe. He's going to Edenize the universe. Everything is going to set right, be set right. The rescue will be ultimately, completely complete. And then we will experience this rescue. We will know complete and total victory over the very presence of sin and we will be in the presence of God forever forever in his presence but what happens now what about the now that's great out then but what happens now well I think we find it in Psalm 126 verse 5 those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy some of you are sowing in tears right now Your grief, the pain, difficulty, trouble, suffering, you're sowing in tears. Why do you sow? You sow expecting a harvest. The day's going to come that you'll reap with shouts of joy. Oh, we may sow in tears, and that may be the hardest part of the whole thing. Getting up tomorrow morning and going out and sowing and doing the work and trusting in God and walking and putting one foot in front of the other, trusting that God has gone before us and God meets us in that. But we may sow in tears but we will reap with shouts of joy. Why? Because of the presence of God. Because of the victory that we have in Christ. And because Jesus Christ rescued us from sin by paying that price, by shedding his own blood on a cross that we deserved. He took our place so that in him, we might through faith be saved from our sins. Can I just tell you, if If you are here today, if you're watching, if you're listening either now or later, and you have never received Christ as your Savior, can I tell you, whatever issue you're facing right now in your life, whatever problem you're facing this week, that is the least of your concerns. The biggest concern that you have right now is where will you spend eternity? And that is only through salvation found in Christ, surrendering our lives to him. That is the only place that you're going to find salvation. And am I saying that once you find that salvation, God's going to work everything out and you're never going to have trouble again? Oh, no, 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 no. You need to count the cost. It's going to be difficult. But God promises that he will be there and walk with us through that. So don't think you're just going to slough off all your old problems and you won't ever have any of those problems again. No, we're still going to have problems. But we have hope. We have hope. We have the presence of God. We have the victory found in God, and we have the rescue that is brought to us in the person of Jesus. That is how we can reclaim joy in a season of suffering. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We give you thanks that we are not left by ourselves alone.
to walk through life. We are not, we are not fending for ourselves. We are not trying to figure it out ourselves. We are not dependent upon our own abilities or our own understanding. To the contrary, those situations should show us that we are not in control and that you are and that you are trustworthy, that we can place our faith and our hope fully upon Christ and he will do everything that he wants to do in our lives. Father, even if it's painful, there's a purpose. There's a purpose in our pain. There's a plan in our pain. Father, in the midst of that, we want to know your presence. We want to live in the victory found in Christ. We want to understand that we have been rescued from sin when we cannot rescue ourselves, and the day will come that that rescue will be complete. And Father, one day you will shalomify the universe. We'll see you as you are. We'll be able to look at you face to face. We will know you perfectly, forever. God, that's the hope we have in seasons of trouble, that this is not it, and that you are a God who is far greater than any trouble we're going to experience. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And greater is he who is in us than we are ourselves. Either individually or combined, Christ is higher, he's greater. So Father, I pray that we would rely completely and totally upon Jesus alone. And in him, know that we walk through these seasons of trouble, these seasons of struggle, these circumstances and pain. We walk through them with him more accurately he walks with us through them so father we give you thanks and praise for that truth father i pray that this morning anybody that has any decision i pray you give them the boldness to respond maybe somebody just father maybe they just need to come to you and say i need jesus let today be that day of salvation for them father i know there's people here they're struggling they're hurting they're grieving Father, I pray you'd be very near to them in a very special way. Father, I pray that you would would let them know that you're there and that you haven't forgotten them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.